Romans chapter 8, stand up on your feet, and uh, we want to see what the Lord would speak to us today. Romans chapter 8, let's look at verse number 1 through 4 this morning. Paul writes, here's what he said. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to to the Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray you would speak to our hearts, give us clarity and ears to hear exactly what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Well, good morning, everybody. We're glad you're here. And uh, if you're just now picking up with us, we've been in a series over the last couple of months that we've entitled Haunted. And uh, we've looked at being haunted by doubt and what it, what it means that when we're trying to believe God for maybe a family situation or for a miracle and, and it seems like we're just having difficulty really trusting and believing God. And so we looked at the man who his child needed deliverance and the disciples weren't able to do anything and he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so we looked at that. Then we've looked at worry and we've looked at several other different issues but today, I want to talk to you about something that I believe each and every one of us in this room, whether you're young or old, have been touched with at some point in life. And this morning, I want to talk to you from the subject, haunted by guilt and shame. Haunted by guilt and shame. I don't want you to raise your hands this morning, but how many of you just with uh, an expression on the inside would say, Pastor, I have done some things in my life that I'm not proud of. I've done some things that I wish I could undo. I've said some things that I wish that I could unsay. And because of that, I have struggled with guilt and shame from time to time in my life. Uh, I believe that's something that us as believers wrestle with almost daily. But this morning, before I get into this too much, I believe that part of the issue that faces this whole um, uh, subject of guilt and shame in the life of a believer uh, literally can be helped by starting off by clearing up a misunderstanding. How many of you know the Bible says uh, when you get all, make sure you get understanding? Amen. And so understanding what we're dealing with. I believe that there is a grave misunderstanding between two biblical words that when we don't get these words correct in our hearts, in our minds, and in our theology, we end up fumbling the ball and losing the victory. Here's these two words. You ready for them? If you're taking notes, write these down. Uh, they, they are the words conviction. Everybody say conviction. And condemnation. Everybody say condemnation. Most people don't have a good working definition of what the difference is between conviction and condemnation. And so because of that, a lot of times they stay under a heavy burden of guilt and shame for things that they have done. And, and honestly, these are a lot of times things that God has already released you from, forgiven you from, but the issue is because you don't understand righteousness and you don't understand true forgiveness, the enemy continues to bring condemnation into your life. 
And I believe this morning that the Spirit of the Lord wants to get some of you free from this so that you can walk looking forward in your future and stop looking backward at what you did 10, 15, 20 years ago. Come on, somebody. God wants you to walk in the freedom of your mind. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to be shackled by guilt and shame. Let's get a couple of good working definitions. I love Merriam-Webster's dictionary, and here's what Merriam-Webster says. Merriam-Webster uh, says this, Guilt can be defined by the state of one who's committed an offense, especially consciously, or the feeling of deserving blame, especially for imagined offenses, or from a sense of inadequacy. And uh, let's look at shame. Shame can be defined likewise as a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. In other words, shame and guilt come upon our lives whenever we have a remorse for an action that we have done in our past. And I believe that as we look through this, this morning, God's going to help us distinguish the two and understand when it's God pushing us to greatness or when the enemy is trying to push us down into a place of despair and condemnation. So if you're taking any kind of notes, I want you to write a few things down. These are not in the notes that I publish, but I want you to just write these down. First of all, conviction comes from God. Conviction comes from God. Conviction comes from God. Let me just tell you something. Conviction is a good thing. Conviction is a good thing. In fact, I believe that we have had such a lack of doctrinal, solid, biblical teaching across the body of Christ in America that any such teaching that has to deal with instruction in righteousness or in correcting wrong habits is seen as condemning and you, you're just judging me and we ultimately reject conviction that comes from God and we cast it to the side and say, well, that's just condemnation. But the problem is, is we don't understand the two. Conviction comes from God. Now, how many of you in this room are professing believers? Raise your hand. You say by the raising of your hand that I am following Christ. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I have asked Him to, to forgive me, and I'm every day walking in step with Him, trying to do my best to love Him and to please Him and to live a holy life. Okay? Now, the Scripture already tells us that in the flesh there's none righteous, no, not one. Meaning that on our best day, we're still not good enough. Somebody say, thank God for Jesus. That's the whole purpose Jesus came. Jesus didn't come just so, um, you know, we could just try to do it on our own. No, he came because we weren't able to do it on our own. And so by his blood, he makes us righteous. But yet, as Christians, we still have the propensity at times to make a mistake, to have a wrong word, a wrong action, a wrong thought. Um, uh, you know, somebody cuts us off in traffic and, and all of a sudden those wrong thoughts, <laughs> come on somebody, start coming up in our mind. Or somebody steals our promotion on our job and all of a sudden we want to we do Old Testament God vengeance to them. Amen. We have all of these different types of things that well up on the inside of us that really uh, kind of coddle the dictates of the flesh. But when you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in there now. And all of a sudden, he goes, eh, 
wrong move, wrong attitude, wrong word. And we have something that we call conviction. Let me help you. It should be what happens when you go somewhere you shouldn't go. It should be something that happens when you say something you shouldn't say. Watch something that you shouldn't watch. It should be something that, that we welcome in our lives. I never want my conscience to be so hardened to the point that I don't respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. See, us Pentecostals, we, we tend to think the only good thing the Holy Spirit does is make you speak in tongues. And I'm thankful for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit also wants to help us live on the road to living a righteous life. And because of living on that road of a righteous life, the Holy Spirit is like a GPS. How many of you have one of those Siri type GPSs in your car or on your phone and you miss the turn and all of a sudden, what does it say? Turn around, make a U-turn, recalculating. And listen, you may be bumpy and beaten and bruised by the time you get back to the main highway but if you listen to the voice you will get to your destination that's the way conviction is when you do something as a believer I want you to get this I'm saying as a believer as a some of y'all aren't as holy as you think you are amen if you're looking at me right now, your halo's crooked as we're speaking. Hallelujah. Listen, you're not as holy as you think you are. I'm not talking about living in blatant sin. Come on now. I'm not talking about living a lifestyle contrary to your confession. I'm talking about just being human and making a mistake. And all of a sudden, when that happens in our life, the Holy Spirit's conviction comes in our life, and He says, now hold a minute. You're better than that. That's not the nature of Christ. We're, we're supposed to walk in love, walk in forgiveness, walk in hope, preferring others above ourselves. We're supposed to give people the benefit of the doubt. But, but yet, you're not acting like that. So conviction, if you're writing this down, number one, comes from God. Conviction, number two, calls you up to higher living. Conviction calls you up to higher living. But this morning, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about guilt and shame that's rooted in this second word, which is condemnation. And so if you're writing notes, write this down. Condemnation is from the devil. Condemnation is from the devil. How are they different? Conviction sounds like this. You're better. You can do better. You, you, are, you are a part of a, a better family than that. That's not who you are. That's not your nature. Why did you do that? You need to make that right. That is conviction from the Holy Spirit. But when condemnation sets up in your life, it sounds like this. Yeah, that's what I thought. Why are you even serving Jesus? You're such a horrible person. After all, you're never going to be any better than this. And that is the voice of the adversary. The voice of the adversary is one of condemnation. See, we have many names for the devil in the Bible. Genesis refers to him as the serpent. Um, uh, one passage in Ezekiel refers to him as in his former, uh, in his former nature was the bright and morning star who had fallen from heaven. Uh, Revelation refers to him as the dragon. One person said he's the serpent. Another person said he's Slewfoot, he's a Lucifer, he's the adversary. Uh, but there is a name of the devil mentioned in Revelation, the 13th uh, chapter, 
that a lot of us don't grasp. And here it is. Are you ready? The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren who accuses before the throne of God day and night. And Satan is still doing that today. I have biblical proof that he's still doing that. He did it in the life of Job. Uh, Job uh, obviously was after the fall of Satan because, you know, uh, obviously Satan was already in a fallen state in the garden. And Job uh, is, is uh, living his life and things are going pretty good. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says that Satan stands before the throne of God in, in uh, accusation against Job. Consider your servant Job, how he's never done anything. And, uh, you know, he's just living a good life. You've blessed him. You've prospered him. But if you, if you take stuff away from him, then all of a sudden, you know, you're gonna, you know he's going to curse you to your face and all of that. And so the Bible doesn't say God did anything to Job, but he did permit the heads to be lifted. And when he permitted the heads to be lifted, he said, you can do everything except for take his life. And then boils and all of his animals died and fire from heaven consumed his houses, all of his children, all of those things. But we see that in the Old Testament that Satan was accusing Job before the throne of God. You say, Pastor, do we have any New Testament? We absolutely do. The apostle Peter who uh, Jesus said, before the cock crows, you have denied me three times. And we know that Peter did deny the Lord three times. But Jesus said these words. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But take heart, Peter, because I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you're converted, I want you to strengthen your brethren. We see that in the Old and the New Testament. And according to Revelation 13, one of Satan's jobs is to accuse the brethren before the throne of God day and night. But we have good news. Because not only does Satan accuse the brethren before the throne of God day and night. But there's also somebody else up there in heaven doing some good stuff for us. It's a man by the name of Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. And the Bible said that, that after he led captivity captive, he ascended back into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. You know what intercession is? Intercession is one who runs interference. It's one who goes between. And so Jesus is standing at the throne of God at the right hand and Satan is trying to accuse us. Remember, remember your servant Billy. Remember what he did 10 years ago? Remember um, uh, uh, Chris, what he did five years ago? Remember Pastor Brad, what he did when he was a teenager? And da-da-da, and this and that and the other. And Jesus, as our advocate, he stands in the gap and pleads our case. And that's what he does. And so Satan is no longer able to accuse you and I successfully before the throne of God because Jesus is our advocate. Now... How many of you would say that's pretty good news? I mean, I do. I think that's pretty good news. See, this is the tension that we walk in, meaning that we, Christ has already wrought the victory. He's already purchased it. He's already provided it. Do you know everything Jesus will ever do, he's already done? He's seated at the right hand because he's finished. That's what the scripture says. And so, but... but 
All of it is not realized because as in this case, we realize Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Jesus is pleading our case in heaven before the Father, making intercession for us. But yet we aren't fully uh, realized that we're not in heaven yet. We're still on this earth. We're still walking in our natural bodies. And here's what I found out about guilt and shame. Are you ready? Here's what I found out. Oftentimes, it's easier for us to acknowledge that God has forgiven us, but it's harder to realize the need to forgive ourselves. Sometimes it's hard for us to realize the need to forgive ourselves. So because of that, what we have are believers who have trusted in Christ His saving work, His finality of His sacrifice, the atoning work of the blood, cleansing their sins for all eternity, never to be held against them, yet living still in the shackles of guilt and shame and condemnation for things in past times gone by. That's what the enemy desires to do in our lives. And I'm going to show you why this is a strategy. This morning I feel... All eyes on me. I feel like we're locked into the spirit this morning. So let's just reach in and grab whatever Jesus has for us today. I want to show you a scripture. 1 John chapter 3. I'm about to show you why this is Satan's strategy. 1 John chapter 3. What does it read? He said, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. Look at verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him Because we could keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Go back and read that one more time and let's read it slow together. He said, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. And because we have confidence, we know verse 22, that whatever we ask of him, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, I'm a firm believer That when we approach the scriptures, we can walk away with just as much, not just by looking at what the scripture says, but by also looking at what it doesn't say. This is called reason and deduction. So, let me just say this. Go back to the verse in in verse number 21, and let's, let's look at this together. Notice he said, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, our heart being our inner man, our mind, our will, our emotions. You can say it like this, the soulish part of us. If our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence towards God. But if this is true, then the opposite is true. If our hearts are full of condemnation, we can't have confidence towards God. Because every time we try to approach the Father, the enemy, the adversary, brings things back up that we've already been to God about, we've already asked forgiveness of that. He keeps bringing it back over and over and over again, throwing it in our face, and we can't seem to get past the issue. And because we can't get past the issue, we don't have any confidence towards God. So here's what that looks like. We can't pay attention in church. We can't pray successfully. We can't lift our hands and worship God freely. Because every time we try, the enemy comes and he says, Hey, hey, hey. Hey, you remember that charge you got 10 years ago, don't you? 
You, you remember when you got locked up at 2 in the morning. Hey, you remember that time when you weren't saved and, and uh, you spoke really something really horrible to your spouse. And uh, you, you, now look at you. You're in church and you're trying to do all this. Who do, you think, who do you think you are? And the enemy comes and he tries to bring up all of these things into our lives. Now, what Satan loves to do is he loves to take that which God has forgiven and he loves to go and try to scrounge it up and bring it back and throw it into our faces. Now, pause, time out. I'm not speaking about present sins that people are committing that they're refusing to be held accountable for or to repent of. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about stuff that is long under the blood. Old habits, old things, old hang-ups, things that we've since walked away from. Those are the things I'm talking about because there are a lot of people who don't want the Lord to deal with the stuff they're walking through right now. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the stuff, the issues from the past. And what Satan does is he takes it and he brings it back up. And can I, do, ooh, can I just be honest with you? Sometimes if he's not successful enough to do it on his own, he'll use other people. And let me just tell you, you're no more like Satan than when you're constantly throwing people's forgiven past in their face. Jesus used a lot of people who had broken pasts. He used a lot of people who came from the wrong side of the tracks, who lived in illicit relationships. I'm thinking about the woman caught in the act of adultery. I'm thinking about the woman who was at the well. I'm thinking about the disciples and their background. And, and, and oftentimes the enemy tries to bring up the past and throw it into our face. But this morning I want to give you some tools on how to defeat being haunted by guilt and shame. Because I'm telling you, the enemy wants to throw this in your face. Let me just be honest with you real quick. I felt a, a check in my spirit to pause and share this with you. There are some people listening or in this room that you're dealing with this and you don't even realize you're dealing with it. You don't even realize it until it happens. Let me give you an example. I remember this like it was yesterday. There was a young lady in our church in Louisiana. I was pastoring some years ago down there. And during an altar service on Sunday morning, the Lord gave me a very specific word of knowledge. And if you know me, I don't just spout stuff and hope that I hit something. I would rather say nothing and, and be disobedient than to, than to say something and, and it be wrong. Now, you may not have that same philosophy, but I do. Because I, I really don't want to say God said something and he didn't say it. So I felt in my heart that particular morning preaching. I don't even remember what I was preaching on, but the Lord spoke to me. He stopped me and he said, somebody in this room is struggling with shame over an abortion from their past. Now, this, this, is, a, this is my church, 150 people, been there for four years at this point. I feel like I know everybody. We drink coffee and tea and go have lunch. And I was like, Lord, I don't know anybody who has that. Maybe, you know, there's always skeletons in closets people don't share with everybody, you know. And, and all of a sudden, there was a gasp on the back side of the room. There was a young lady, a Filipino lady, who had been coming to church, and she broke out in a shrill. And she had been carrying this illegal abortion that she had had with a coat hanger, if I remember correctly. And when she was living in the Philippines. Now as a believer and had a difficult time walking 
walking through it. In fact, that issue, if I remember correctly, kept her from being able to have kids even to the present. And so she had always dealt with that guilt and shame. And, and you know what? Sometimes you don't even realize you're still holding on to it because you've repressed it and you've pushed it down. But let me tell you, we talk a lot about physical healing and we love to see the cancers fly off and we love the blind eyes to be open and the deaf ears to be unstopped. But can I tell you that mental and spiritual healing are just as significant as the other? Sometimes we celebrate what we can see and we sweep under the rug what we can't see. But I believe the Lord wants to set somebody free this morning from the haunting nightmares of what you did in your past so that you can walk in the fullness of life that Jesus has for you. Hallelujah. I've been there. Wrestled with it. In our text, Romans chapter 8, Paul's writing to the church at Rome and he's making a comparison between the spirit life and the flesh life. The difference between fulfilling and the keeping of the law versus walking in the spirit. And there's some things that Paul deals with in this passage as it relates to forgiveness and walking with confidence before God and not trusting the law for righteousness. And as we look at this, there are just three little simple things that I want to help you with this morning that I believe that you can walk away and say, you know what, I'm going to put this in my tool belt and it's going to help me this morning. Go back with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I want to read this. This is a misquoted verse by a lot of people. I'm going to help you this morning. Verse number 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Um, if you're taking notes, write this down. The Spirit-filled life, the Spirit-filled life doesn't bring condemnation. The Spirit-filled life doesn't bring condemnation. Now, I've heard this verse quoted before, that, and they said, well, there's no condemnation. There's now no, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Well, that sounds great, but it's a half of a scripture. And can I just give you a little bit of uh, Bible interpretation truth here? A half truth is a whole lie. Isn't it awesome how we pick things we want and we leave things we don't? That's not what it says. The Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, comma, and you got to look at what's after the comma, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That means as a Christian, if you're walking in the flesh and you're, you're straying from the dictates of God, you're, you have an open bullseye for condemnation on your life. Because you're not serving God, you're, you're doing things you shouldn't do, you're going things you shouldn't go, you're living almost in a state of rebellion. You're living towards the dictates of the flesh. But I love what the scripture says, that if we're living in the spirit life, that life that Jesus has designed for us to walk in, there's no more condemnation for those who are walking in the flesh. Why? Because we're living according to a new nature. You walk with your head up high. When you've been made a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You know, when we get saved and we give our lives to Christ, 
His perfect nature comes into our life. There's an exchange. We take His righteousness and He took upon Himself our sinfulness and He bore that on the cross. And now through His righteous life and the Spirit living on the inside of us, the fruits of the Holy Spirit begin to be developed in our lives. The Bible says now the fruits of the Spirit are evident. They are love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, temperance, gentleness. Against such are no law. That's what the Scripture says. That when we're walking in Christ, He begins to develop character. He begins to to, to develop those attributes of of gentleness and and peace and love and forgiveness and and all of the wonderful things that the Spirit-filled life brings to us. Now listen, when when we blow it, The Holy Spirit will convict us, but we don't need to accept any condemnation. Because a person who is living in the Spirit-filled life understands what Jesus meant when He said, um, He that knew no sin became sin for us, that they might become the righteousness of God in Christ. See, the enemy comes and he tries to bring the past up to you and throw it up in your face. But we've got to realize that that we've got to tell the devil, devil, our, our past has been covered in the blood of Jesus. The Bible said that he so far is as the east is from the west, David wrote, so has he removed our transgressions from us. And not only has he removed them from us and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, but he also posted a nice little sign there that said no fishing, no trespassing. The spirit-filled life doesn't bring condemnation. Conviction is the awareness that you have grieved the spirit and he wants fellowship with us. Folks, you need to learn to value the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're saved and you're washed in the blood and heaven's your destination does not mean you can never do something stupid again. It doesn't mean you can never say anything stupid. It doesn't mean you can't have a bad thought. You know, um, my, my wife and I, we've gotten pretty good at, at trying to do our best to, to when we've, we watch a movie or something, there's a wonderful resource by Focus on the Family called Plugged In Online, and uh, you can look at new movies and old movies, and it'll tell you the sexual content, the language, all of that stuff, and you can make an educated decision if, you know, you want to watch it or not. Because I know how the flesh is. You go ahead and pay that $10 at the movie and that that $18 popcorn, and uh, you're going to justify sitting there because, by the way, we already paid for this. Come on, somebody. Am I preaching the truth or am I lying this morning? Okay, so listen, you say, well, you know, listen to that stuff, watch that stuff, doesn't hurt me. You cannot tell me that you sit in a movie and hear the name of the Lord taken in vain, and as a Christian, it doesn't bother you just a little. Tell me it doesn't bother you just a little? If it's to the point to where it doesn't bother you at all, you are in deep trouble, my friend. Then listen. That, that, that conviction that comes, that, 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 that jolt that says, whoa, hold on, something's not right about this. You've got a choice at that moment. You can turn and go in a different direction, or you can reject that and sit there and continue to subject yourself to that to where all of a sudden, just over a process of time, your heart begins to get hard, and it doesn't bother you anymore. 
And then that's how people eventually turn their back and walk away from God. We used to call that backsliding. When's the last time you heard a sermon on that? It doesn't usually happen through one thing. We're not, we're not, we're not saved and unsaved based on one decision. I mean, I mean, we're saved based on following Christ. And, 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 and ultimately, we're unsaved by rejecting Christ. But if you continue to allow sin in your life and reject conviction from the Holy Spirit, you're going to keep walking down a path of hardness to where it doesn't bother you, and all of a sudden you're going to find yourself way, way, way separated from the flock of God, from the house of God, from the people of God, from your relationship. You're going to get yourself in a very dangerous situation. But guess what? We should welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The next time you feel convicted, you ought to thank God He's still speaking to you. The next time you feel convicted, you ought to thank God he's still closer than a brother. The next time you feel it, uh, listen, I'm telling you, as a believer, if we go to sin, I pray that we'd all be so miserable that we just couldn't stand it till we got it right. The spirit-filled life, as long as you're walking, doesn't bring condemnation. That's from the enemy. It's not productive at all. It's kicking you down to the ground. It's telling you you're worthless, you're hopeless, and you're no good, and you've always been no good. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're forgiven. You're healed. You're whole. You are, you are more than a conqueror. See, the Bible gives us the attitude that God has for us, but the enemy always tries to bring the opposite. The Spirit-filled life doesn't bring condemnation but it does welcome conviction believers should never feel comfortable living in sin if somebody ever boasts to you and says well I'm saved by grace and I can do what they want to do it's very likely that they only have a head knowledge of salvation that's not biblical grace here's point number two found in verse number two Point number two is this. We're not under the law, but we're under a law. Go back and look at Romans chapter 8 with me. And let's look at verse number two. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Look at verse three. For what the law could not do, even though that it was weak in the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin he condemned sin in the flesh notice this that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk in the flesh but according to the spirit Paul is writing this to these these uh, these people in Rome and a lot of Hebraic uh, people who have converted from Judaism and different things. And, and Judaism was all about keeping the law, keeping the ordinances. And Jesus was very plain to tell us, if you break one, you've break, broken all of them. But Christ came not to do away with the principles of the law, but he came to fulfill the law and to fulfill the righteousness of the law. And so now what we see is Paul is trying to tell them at the church of Rome that they're not under the, the old law of Moses in regards to the, uh, that, that, that code of keeping this and not keeping that. But he said now there's a different law at work. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You know what law that is? The Bible says it like this. He's written eternity on our hearts. 
Testament, those believers did not have the Holy Spirit in the same sense that we do. They had the prophets, they had the priests, they had the kings. God would anoint them sometimes for service, but that, that spirit would not live and, and he would rest upon them for service, but often would lift off of them. Today, Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. When he comes, he shall not just be with you, he shall be in you. Now we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us through salvation as believers. And now that striving to keep that old law, it looks different now. Because now we come to this thing from a realization that even on our best day, you couldn't keep it. You couldn't keep it. It's a very difficult thing. Because the law brought knowledge of sin, and knowledge of sin brought condemnation. Here's the third thing I want to share with you. The law could never produce righteousness. The only way that righteousness could be produced through the law is if you kept every single aspect of it. And the whole purpose of it was to show us that we couldn't. Man is nothing without Christ. Nothing. I want to read a, verse, a couple of verses of Scripture to you. Galatians, the third chapter, verse 5 through 7. Are you still here this morning? Galatians chapter 3, 5 through 7. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. Notice this. Does he do it by the works of the law? Or does he do it by the hearing of faith? Okay. Just as Abraham believed God... And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are faith are the sons of Abraham. Here's how I like to say it, folks. You have to have more faith in what Jesus did than in what you can do. Did you hear what I said? You have to have more faith in what Jesus did than in what you can do. Now, imputed righteousness, that is righteousness that was given by credit that we did not earn. The scripture calls that an imputation, imputed righteousness. When righteousness is given to us that we didn't earn, it in, indeed affects change in our life and it produces righteous living. Let me give it to you like this. I'm getting ready to close. In the Old Testament, you had to do in order to be righteous. You follow me? Do this, keep this, don't do this, don't do that. You had to do to be righteous. In the New Testament, we do not to be righteous. We do because we have been made righteous. It's a big difference. The motivation of why you serve God is different. Now, I'm not trying to go to church so that God will love me. I go to church because I love God. I'm not trying to tithe so God can bless me, although he has. I'm tithing because I've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing. 
I'm not trying to forgive others because it's just the right thing to do. I'm forgiving others because he forgave me. The motivation of walking in the spirit-filled life is different when we realize that condemnation, guilt, and shame are the adversary's tools to keep you from walking in the fullness of God's plan for your life. I'm going to ask somebody to come this morning, and I want, I want to reverence the next few moments because I believe this is very significant here this morning. This is a heavy, heavy doctrinal message on righteousness and forgiveness and conviction. I want you to know something today. As long as you allow the adversary to continue to bring up your past, it will ultimately stop you from fulfilling the purpose that God has for your life. It'll cause you to stop writing your tracks. I didn't really realize how significant this was until recent, honestly, uh, because I've been working with Chaplain Weaver out of the prison and James Crabtree. It's a particularly more strict facility. It's medium yard, maximum yard. And some of those folks have gotten out there for doing some bad things. Bad things. Some of those guys have been out there for 40 plus years. 40 plus. With no hopes of getting out. And some of them have been serving Jesus now. Not jailhouse religion. Everybody serves him when they think they, they can get out because of it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a, Lord, I'm going to serve you even if I don't get out of here. And those, those guys... It's, it's, there, it's a paradigm that it's hard to wrestle with because you're, you're living in a, a natural reality looking at an eternal reality. Because these men, some of them, are truly serving God. They're not the same people they were 30 years ago. They're really not. And you tell them, you're forgiven. God loves you. Pick up your head. You don't have to continue to carry that around. And then every day, they're faced with the ball and chain and the cell that reminds them of what they did. Now listen, some of you in this room, you may not have the same aspect of, of your prison sentence. You may not be shackled in a physical cell or with physical chains, but the adversary has shackled you in your mind to the point to where when you go to sleep at night, you think about all of the things that you've done. Here's the question I have to ask you. Have you truly given it to Jesus? There are sins that the Bible says are sins of commission. These are sins that we committed and we committed them on purpose. We knew what we were doing when we did it. Then there are sins of omission, which simply mean we did it without really thinking about it kind of was a reaction it was a whatever didn't mean to do it but it's still wrong you still did it two types of things the enemy can weigh guilt and remorse and regret and now you have to wrestle with that thing and the enemy comes and he says you're not really forgiven you're not really set free how could Jesus ever love you if you did that and, and, and I'm telling you he's trespassing illegally in your life 
because he has no right to do that. But until we forcefully kick him out of our corridor and say, Satan, my past is covered under the blood. I've given it to Jesus right now. That's been forgiven. I bind you. I rebuke you. I cast you out of the name of Jesus. Get out of my mind and get out of my heart and get out of my life. I'm a new creation in Christ. And you learn to push that away. Only into that point will you really be able to walk in the freedom that Jesus wants you to walk in. I want everybody to stand up on your feet.